my sister, uh, I don't want to say tortured me, but um, it was really, really bad to me when we were young. And Angie, I hope you're watching right now from home. <laughs> we were little uh, back in Oshkosh. Um, we had a, a big basement, you know, as you do. And um, you know how the, the light switch is at the top of the stairs. So the first one who runs up the stairs, shuts off the light, and closes the door wins. And she always did this to me. I just remember this. I never did it to her. Never. <laughs> never. I would have never done that to her. But <laughs> I seem to remember that happening a lot. You know, and then when you're little and you're stuck in darkness, you know, and by the way, kids don't do this. I mean, we're laughing about it, but don't do it. I mean, the good thing, most of us don't have, you know, basements here, but, um, but you know, it's scary. It's scary. And those of you who are little, you know, you know, the little ones here, you know that it, sometimes it can be scary, you know, to be in the dark, to not be able to see. Now, I think we've all probably had some sort of experience like that where we just have this, this feeling of being terrified, terrified. And this is sort of the experience that the apostles have with Jesus over and over again. Last week, we heard about him coming to the upper room. He appears in their midst, and they think it's a ghost. Here we have um, him appearing to them after he met with two of them on the road to Emmaus, and he appears to them again, and they're terrified. They're startled and terrified. It's not like, they're, well, they're just a little spooked. No, they're startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. We have to confront a couple things here then about that. So this is Jesus post-resurrection, and they don't recognize him. Why don't they recognize him? Well, I can think of, of two fairly good reasons. I'm sure we could think of more. The first reason could simply be that his resurrected body is, has such a difference to it that they're unable to completely recognize him as he once was. But what we keep seeing is they recognize him when he does something sort of either sacramental, like breaking the bread, or when he shows them his wounds. And so I, th I, I don't know, I think a better argument might be that the Lord being God could, could sort of make his appearance somewhat unknown until he wanted it revealed. And he specifically wanted the disciples to see him as the one crucified, as the one, you know, taking the bread and breaking it and distributing it and blessing it. He wanted them to tie recognition of him to these realities. <clears throat> right, so we're told that he shows him his hands and his side. He's like, look, it's me. It's me. And then they, they get it. And then they rejoice. You know, their terror turns to rejoicing. Oh, it's Jesus, right. He's the one, he has the marks. He's the one who was crucified. And then we have these other examples, just like today. It seems so curious, right? And then he's like, do you have anything to eat? 
well, why are you hungry? <laughs> it's the first thing I think of. I always kind of question stuff. So why is he hungry? Like, he, in our res- are we going to be hungry in heaven? Like, is that how it's going to work? Probably not. Okay, the, the reason why he's doing this is to show them that he has a real physical presence, that he can consume food, that he takes and eats, right? So that his resurrected body even has a physical reality. He's not just a ghost. It's not a sort of apparition, but that this is a real encounter with the living God, the resurrected Christ. And so as we, as we hear these post-resurrection accounts, there's, you know, about a dozen of them, or about ten of them, we'll, we'll constantly hear these themes over and over and over, that Jesus is showing his hands, his side, his feet, he's showing the marks of the crucifixion, and he wants that to be a primary identifier that God suffered for you. That God, in his greatest moment of weakness, through the power of the Father, it became his greatest moment of strength, his greatest moment of weakness. And so we have this interesting quandary then of how weakness can become strength. You know, and so many of us, we, we don't want to admit any weakness. No, I'm a tough guy. I don't have any weaknesses, right? Because we think that somehow, I mean, sometimes just for our own ego, you know, it becomes sort of a defense. Like, no, I've just got to be strong because even though inside we're dying, you know, I've got to be strong. I've got to, you know, do this, whatever it is. Job, family, preaching. (laughs) So we have this, you know, tougher exterior at times. But the reality is that every single one of us feels weak at times. And this is hard to face. But the Lord wants us to face it. And the reason he wants us to face it is because he wants to become our power. He wants us to recognize that our own power is relatively worthless. He wants to become our power. Let me, let me tell you a story. I, you know, all I have is autobiography. I mean, I can only talk about Pete so much, and uh, I don't want to use examples from your lives. So let me give you an example, and it's going to sound like I'm, I'm gloating. And, you know, I am a little, but, but just an, an example. So when I, went to, <clears throat> when I went to Italy to study, I didn't know any Italian, and all the classes are going to be in Italian. I'm like, gosh, it's hard enough to live in another country, but okay, so i got to study Italian. Then I get there. And they're like, oh, you don't have a Greek uh, requirement finished. I'm like, no. And they're like, you got to take Greek. Okay, so I'm taking Italian lessons and Greek, and then my classes are in Italian. And then just for the heck of it, I took Latin too, because I thought, we might as well go for the trifecta. Let's just do three languages in my first year. And there were plenty of times that I was thinking, how in the world am I going to get through this? How am I going to get through this? And I remember there was, there was one, uh, one time I went to the uh, Church of St. Augustine where St. Monica, the, the mother of Augustine, is buried. 
is just one of the cool things you get to do when you're in Rome. And I was taking a class from, uh, on Augustinian ethics. And of course, it was in Italian. The problem was the teacher was German and didn't know any Italian yet. And I was, you know, American and kind of knew some Italian, but I was still figuring it out. But, I would, but he didn't know any English either. So a lot of times Germans know English. You know, that's, but for some reason, this guy, I don't know, he didn't know any English. There was no way to communicate with him. And in Italy, or in, these, in the system, there's just one shot at a grade. You have a 15-minute oral at the end of the semester, that's it. Whatever you get, you get. However much you study, you study, and then you go in. So here I am thinking, how am I going to go in? Because some, some of the other teachers would speak English. They let you do your final in English, that kind of thing. Except for this French-Canadian who made me do it in Italian. But I'm not holding on to that resentment. <laughs> Those Quebecois, they're just a pain. Um, so anyway, I, you know, I'm wondering how's this going to work. So I went anyway. I went to the Church of Saint Augustine and I prayed and I asked Saint Monica's intercession. I'm like Saint Monica, please help me understand your son because there ain't any way I'm going to understand it from this German guy. <laughs> you need to help me. You know, of course, intercessions from saints. It's all about God's grace. It's not about their grace. It's about them asking for special favors for us. Anyway, so. Everything went fine, you know, throughout the whole two years and the rest. But I look back on it and I think, how, how did that happen? How did I do that? And you might say, well, Father, you're obviously telling us how brilliant you are. Yeah, I guess I am. But, but really, really, in the moment, that's not what I was feeling. And, and really, looking back, that's not what I'm thinking. I'm actually just really surprised I made it because there are a lot of people who didn't make it. They'd, they'd go home. They just they couldn't do it. But I know that it was God's grace and his strength. And there's been so many times throughout my life where I've been confronted with my own weakness, my own failure. And it's humiliating. I mean, it's humbling. I hate it. I'm sure you do too. Gosh, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to deal with this? I don't, I don't know what to do. And I can put on that, that, you know, sort of overconfident exterior, but it doesn't fix it. And what I've realized is that, especially in those moments, what the Lord wants us to do is to let it go and say, I need your strength. My strength isn't enough. I need your strength to dwell within me. This is why showing the stigmata is so important. Because it's through the presumed weakness of Jesus that God's glory and power is made manifest. And this happens in people's lives over and over and over. It's precisely when we are weak that God's grace comes rushing in to strengthen us and to give us his power. And we need to trust in him. Please stand.